This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of Ghosted, an American story, written and narrated by New York Times best-selling ghostwriter Nancy French, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Better Samaritan, where we're having conversations about how to do good better and faithfully. Welcome to The Better Samaritan Podcast, where we seek to do good better, from everyday acts of kindness to navigating the most complex humanitarian challenges facing the church and society. I'm excited to bring to you today a conversation with a dear colleague of mine, Joshua Nabb. Joshua is a board-certified clinical psychologist with the American Board of Professional Psychology and a fellow of the American Academy of Clinical Psychology. He's also a tenured professor of psychology at California Baptist University, serving as the associate dean for the psychology division and director of the Doctor of Psychology and Clinical Psychology program there. In addition to his work as an educator and psychotherapist, Joshua is the editor of the Journal of Psychology and Christianity, and his writings and research have been published in a wide variety of academic journals, textbooks, workbooks over the last decade. His research interests include marriage and family, mindfulness-based therapies, the psychology of religion and spirituality, Christian meditative and contemplative practices, and cultural diversity. Joshua, welcome to The Better Samaritan. Great to have you today. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I'm just really looking forward to having the opportunity to be able to connect. And, you know, over the last several years, I've just really appreciated just this incredible research. And I know it's not just been the last few years you've been doing it, but some of the work that you've done, especially the applied work about how do we take things from scripture and the knowledge and wisdom there, and how do we really apply that to our lives, both for spiritual formation, but also for psychological growth? Yeah, I've been over the years especially interested in Christian practices and seeing how popular the mindfulness movement has been. And so that has helped me to really embolden me to dig deeper into the Christian tradition to say, wow, there's so much, I guess you could say, wisdom coming out of uh, some of these Eastern practices. What do we have in our own tradition to draw from in order to better help Christians in their psychological suffering? And I love how you've really dug into church history and, you know, looking at practices throughout the life of our traditions. But now when you said the word mindfulness, my guess is there's at least one person listening that like a red flag went up for them, or maybe they are thinking right now of even stopping listening because they've got some concerns about it. Wondered if you've kind of encountered that and what would you say maybe to those that have had some concern about mindfulness practices? Yeah, so mindfulness, even though we might say at times Christian mindfulness, mindfulness, really the word comes from the Buddhist tradition. And oftentimes when we talk about mindfulness in the context of helping professions, it originates from Buddhism and then it's been secularized, meaning it hasn't been, it's been kind of disentangled from its Buddhist roots. But some Christians might be nervous about even taking on these kinds of practices, given maybe they originate from the Buddhist tradition. And it kind of brings up what we might call as the telos or the purpose. What's the purpose of these practices? And so, Mm -hmm. you know, digging back into the Buddhist tradition, really uh, mindfulness is an insight meditation to gain insight or awareness into what's called the three marks of existence. So this idea that there is no individual self, life is suffering, and everything is impermanent. And so even though these practices have been secularized, uh, some might be nervous that there might be some reverberation still or some remnants still of the original practices. And so what I've tried to do is promote 
what I've been kind of terming lately, meditative diversity. So this idea that mm-hmm. each major world religion has its meditative and contemplative heritage. And so for Christians, one option is to kind of Christianize what might be called secularized Buddhist mindfulness. Another approach would be to go directly into the Christian tradition for these practices. And like what's been done with mindfulness, try to define them more precisely, and then to kind of measure them and then to research them as an actual practice to help people in their lives. And so that's what I've tried to do with Christian meditation, Christian contemplation, starting with the Christian tradition rather than kind of taking what's really popular with mindfulness and then asking how can Christianity fit into that. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about the work that you do, that it's just so applied in the way that it starts with scripture. And I think that's also a helpful reminder, Joshua, as you were sharing there, that oftentimes within the Christian tradition, we have practices. We've just called them by different names and there's different uh, you know, reasons why we have them and so on. And so one of the studies that I read of yours recently was looking at Lectio Divina. And I got really excited because my colleague Kent and I, that was something that Kent brought into our training program and our master's in humanitarian and disaster leadership. Mm. So mm-hmm. he had uh, previously, before joining our team, had co-founded and co-directed a nonprofit in Haiti. And so he did a lot of education there and oftentimes had a lot of challenges. Like, what do you do when there's not a lot of technology accessible? Or how do you work with others when there's not maybe a high level of literacy? And so that was a practice that he used. And he also had used it, I know, before, even when he was in college with some of his close friends. But that has become now kind of a central part of our program that it has just now kind of weaved its way that every single class, we start Mm -hmm. off with doing a Lectio Divina. And so before jumping into that, could you maybe kind of just describe what that is? And then we'll kind of move into the study that you did. So when we saw that, so, you know, first thing I did was I pulled out that article and that same day where I was getting ready to lead a devotional doing Lectio Divina and it's evidence-based. So (laughs) first time I've got to do an evidence-based devotional, by the way. So thanks for that. Oh, excellent. That's great. Yeah. So, I mean, returning to this idea of what's the ultimate purpose or telos, the ultimate aim or goal, I think for Christians, you know, in our own history, we have this practice that comes out of the monastic tradition where we, it's four steps of of Lectio Divina, divine reading, it's Latin for divine reading. And the idea would be that we first read scripture slowly, absorbing it. Then we begin to meditate on scripture, the second step. And then we pray, we interact with God. There's a conversation taking place. And then we contemplate. And so what I love about uh, Lexia Divina is it combines Christian meditation and contemplation. It actually helps us to anchor ourselves to scripture. I think many Christians and understand they get nervous when our practices are not connected to God's word, the Bible, not mm-hmm. connected to God's special revelation, but we're sort of like a, an astronaut floating around in space, untethered <laughs> to the ship, right? Kind of a thing. It can feel sort of that way. There's no grounding or anchoring. And so I like the practice because it combines the best of really our practices together. And it does so by anchoring ourselves to scripture. So we might start with God is love in First John, and then we begin to chew. If we use one monk's kind of metaphor of you know eating food, it would be we're first biting by reading scripture. And then we're beginning to chew the verse with meditating. And then we're beginning to taste with praying. And then we're beginning to savor with contemplating. And so we move from you know reading the verse to beginning to chew on the verse to interacting with God. And then resting in God is that final step of contemplation. Mm. 
In terms of meditation and contemplation, I like Francis de Sales in his treaty on the love of God. He differentiates meditation and contemplation as meditation is the details and then contemplation is sort of the more general. And so we might, if we use a camera metaphor, we zoom in on that passage and chew on it when we meditate and then we kind of zoom out and we just rest in God. So there's an awareness of God's love, but we're not, as we reach contemplation, we're not, you know, overly relying on our thoughts, but instead we're sort of resting like we would, you know, get to know a good friend. We start off the relationship by getting to know them, asking questions, learning about who they are, their story. And then eventually we can just sort of enjoy the time with them. Or maybe you might say a marriage too, that I don't always have to fill up the time with my wife with talking. I could just enjoy. So that's that final step of contemplation of just kind of resting in God, resting in God's love. Yeah, and I appreciate the really helpful overview of how you were describing that. And, you know, one of the things that I personally have really appreciated about doing this type of practice has been that it really does make me kind of slow down. And oftentimes it's, you know, talked there about kind of going through these different steps and kind of getting to that stage of resting. And before learning this particular practice, for me, I realized that oftentimes I was only going so deep as I was engaging with scripture, but not really always allowing it to fully kind of come into me and in broader ways. And so have really just appreciated this approach. So now anybody that knows me knows that I get excited anytime we get to talk about research. So let's go ahead and jump into that part. Of sure. And I guess the other part too, if uh, maybe one big takeaway is if somebody's looking to impress somebody at a party, they can be like, well, you know, uh, Lectio Divino <laughs> in, right? And talk about the other languages and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, but let's jump into research here. What did you find with your study? Help us to kind of understand what you did and what you found. Yeah. So one of the things we did was we drew from what's called the broaden and build theory for understanding emotions. And I've really appreciated this theory. And this is consistent with kind of what I've been wrestling with in my own life as a researcher and as a clinician. Is it better to directly try to reduce our suffering or is it better to you know, increase something that's more positive in our thoughts? These are indirect methods going all the way back to the Jesus prayer in you know, the early desert Christianity, the idea of you know, instead of trying to get rid of these tempting compulsive thoughts, you know, whether it's pride or lust or gluttony, the idea would be to shift towards something else, shift towards scripture, looking to Jesus in the desert. He didn't get into a shouting match with the devil, but instead he just recited scripture as a way to talk back. And so whether it's our thoughts and noticing when we're worrying or ruminating and then gently shifting towards something else versus trying to eradicate it, or our emotions, this idea that we might never be able to fully get rid of fear or shame or anxiety, but we can notice the experience and then gently shift or pivot towards something positive. So with this broaden and build theory, the idea would be that we can actually increase positive emotions. And this actually has the tendency to sort of undo, I would like to, I like to maybe say crowd out the negative emotional experience. And so instead of trying to directly get rid of, we end up trying to increase. And so I've noticed in the clinical psychology literature that now 
loving kindness meditations are really popular. I talked about mindfulness a little bit before. Mindfulness is really a way to relate to the inner world with non-judgment. So it's more neutral towards whatever comes up in the inner world, Mm -hmm. our thoughts, our feelings. Whereas loving kindness meditation is really about reciting a mantra to increase or improve positive emotions like uh, joy, like love, kindness, compassion. And so you're repeating, you know, may I be at ease, may I be free from suffering, may other people be at ease, may they be free from suffering. So I noticed that the broaden and build theory was applied to the practice of loving kindness meditation. And there's a lot of research on it. And I thought to myself, well, what's a equivalent kind of practice in the Christian Mm -hmm. tradition that we can map out like they've done so well with loving kindness meditation and mindfulness before it, and then begin to research to look at outcomes to increase positive emotions, not necessarily try to decrease negative ones. So drawing upon this theory, drawing upon this momentum in the loving kindness meditation literature, realized that Lexio Divina can be a way to do that by, and in our case, we targeted gratitude and contentment. So for people who struggle with trauma, past traumatic experiences, instead of trying to decrease fear and shame, anxiety, the idea would be to increase gratitude and contentment. And Mm. so that's sort of the premise for our study. Well, and I love how you described it, that kind of those problems that we have, but also these areas of growth can coexist and, and like that approach of how do we almost kind of push them to the side by focusing on some of those more positive experiences. And, you know, in fact, that kind of connects some with some of the research that we've been doing the last few years on spiritual fortitude and kind mm. of this idea of metabolizing, you know, the suffering that we go through, not necessarily having to always overcome it. Right. Sometimes things are chronic and you may not be able to shake it or, you know, bounce back, so to speak. So what did you find in your study then? Yeah, we actually found that. So what we did, so I've done some other research before on Christian meditation, contemplation, some pilot research, some experimental research uh, where we assign people to either treatment group or some kind of control group. And usually the control group is a wait list. So we basically want to know, does what we're doing work better than essentially waiting it out, doing nothing? But in this particular study, we randomized people. We assigned them to either the Lexio Divina group or a loving kindness meditation group. So for the first time, We actually had a comparison group that was, if we might say, the gold standard or at least something Mm -hmm. that is widely popular and works in the clinical literature. And so we found that actually for trauma symptoms, the Lexio Divina group did better than the loving kindness meditation group. And these were all Christians when they signed up for the study. So that's actually promising. And we did not directly target trauma symptoms. So they did have to acknowledge they had a past traumatic event to sign up for the study, but we did not directly try to reduce, Mm. you know, intrusive memories, or instead, Mm -hmm. it's that more indirect method where we're saying, we're going to help you meditate on scripture in order to sort of build this positive experience, not necessarily directly try to tackle this negative experience. So then kind of walk us through that, like, let's say somebody wanted to actually be able to apply this to their own life. What are kind of some of the steps that they might utilize? Yeah. So let me just say this. We've actually done two studies on these practices for trauma-related symptoms. So the first one we did 
It was basically Christian practices for trauma-related rumination. And so- Rumination, how would you define that for maybe somebody who's listening that's a new term for them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when we think about trauma, oftentimes one of the most distressing aspects of trauma is the intrusive memories after the traumatic event. So we have a vivid Mm -hmm. memory that feels like it's actually happening all over again. And this brings with it negative emotional experience. It might be, you know, fear, it might be shame other kinds of negative emotional experiences, along with an effort to try to cope with it. And so rumination is basically chewing on, if we use that word meditation, in fact, in the monastic tradition, rumination is used oftentimes as a synonym for meditation. But it's the idea that we're chewing on the event, but we're doing so with our thoughts. And we can end up getting stuck in going over and over the why Mm. and what if questions of the Mm. traumatic event. Why did this happen? What if it happens again? And so as a way to respond to this distressing, intrusive memory, we use, you know, what we might call a, a cognitive or kind of focusing on our thoughts to try to avoid the emotional distress and the intrusive memory. And it doesn't work. And it ends up making things worse, increasing actually the frequency of the intrusive memories and the corresponding negative emotions. So we basically taught people in this research to shift from ruminating on the traumatic event to what we call ruminating on God or meditating Mm -hmm. on God. So that was our first study. In the second study, it's something similar. So as we get stuck in maybe the emotional experience of the traumatic event that comes with maybe the intrusive memory, re-experiencing it in some way, we taught people to actually meditate on, go through the steps of Lectio Divina to meditate on scripture as a way to shift or pivot from being lost in the emotional Mm -hmm. experience in order to increase positive emotions and indirectly deal with the traumatic trauma-related symptoms. Mm-hmm. And so as you were walking people through the study, if we were videotaping it, what yeah. would we kind of seen for somebody who was actually doing this practice? Yeah. So if we think about the steps, we first read something like Psalm 34. So taste and see that the Lord is good. So these are the specific, uh, for the Lexio Divina study, the specific passages that we selected. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Again, trying to increase gratitude and contentment, not try to decrease the trauma-related symptoms. So initially they're reading through all of Psalm 34, and then they're taking these two select verses and beginning to gently recite them as a way to pivot or shift from the maybe trauma-related rumination, the corresponding fear, shame, other negative emotions, and they're just beginning to chew on, taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Focusing one's attention on God, praising Him, trusting Him in His goodness. So doing that for a few minutes. The, the whole practice was a 10 minutes. We had them do this practice 10 minutes a day. Then they're praying to God, asking him to continue to fill them with a deeper, more enduring sense of gratitude and contentment, praying that God would help them to be thankful for all that they have in this world and see that they, in this moment, lack nothing. And then beginning to contemplate slowly, softly, simply, just kind of a more condensed version, the Lord is good again and again. And so moving from reading sort of that detail oriented to then just more general, 
reading Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. And we're slowing down and we're going deeper with each step. And then that last step of resting in God, it's just the Lord is good. The Lord is good again and again. And it's we're slowing down. We're focused on this passage. And the idea would be that it's reminiscent of loving kindness meditation and these mantras that are supposed to kind of conjure up, you know, compassion, equanimity, joy for Christians as we meditate on God's word and spend time with him in solitude and science, silence. The idea would be that we're beginning to cultivate gratitude and contentment. And so that's really the study every day doing that. So I think it's a few things happening. One, it's it's a relational approach versus these other practices popular in clinical psychology that are really individualized. Mm-hmm. And so we're spending time with God. We're communing with God. We're fellowshipping with God, that deeper intimacy. And then we're also focusing the mind toward God and cultivating these positive emotions, not dwelling in, ruminating on, chewing on these why and what if questions and the corresponding negative emotions. I love that. And, you know, hearing the way you were describing it there, that, you know, one of the things that I often encounter when we're doing like our spiritual first aid training with other groups Mm -hmm. and things is what do we do when somebody asks why, right? You know, Mm -hmm. when there's a trauma, those why questions are always there. And what I appreciate about this approach that you've developed here is that it provides a way that we don't have to lean so much into the fear or, you know, the hurt but actually leaning into something positive to get a similar result that we're looking for. And so really appreciate that. One of the other things I liked that when you chose Psalm 34, that it even engages multiple senses as you're even starting the practice there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think some, you know, why questioning can be helpful. I mean, there's a whole body of literature, you know, on post-traumatic growth and what we might call deliberate rumination, this idea that it can be helpful at times to deliberately ask those questions. But for many of us, there can be a point where we kind of get stuck. It's sort of like, you know, getting stuck in the snow and just spinning our wheels. And I think there's wisdom in recognizing, you know, God, I'm stuck right now. And so it's maybe not helpful. I'm not coming up with answers. I'm just dwelling on, stewing on, stuck in, lost in. And I think that the assumption here is that we're always meditating on something. The question is what we choose to meditate on. It's sort of like in the monastic Christian tradition, it's, a, it's that cow chewing cud in the field all day long, just chewing. My family and I, we took a trip last weekend and we passed by like a, a farm community and you could see those cows out in the field uh-huh. just standing there, just chewing, right? And so that's us throughout the day. Or if we use the metaphor of like chewing a piece of gum, we're always chewing a piece of gum. We just oftentimes are not aware of what we're chewing. And for some, it can be rumination, it might be worry, and throughout the day. And then that leads to maybe this heightened experience of anxiety or shame. Or And so mm-hmm. the idea here would be that we're more intentional about recognizing the mind is always going. How can we actually chew on God's word to get the nourishment like that cow chewing cut in the field, you know, drawing the nutrients out of scripture instead of kind of unilaterally on our own, trying to sort it out with those why questions. Well, Josh, I did a training in Canada just a couple months ago. And on my evaluation, somebody wrote too many farm stories and analogies. (laughs) So that story here, hearing you talk about the cow, 
I'll always cite and reference you, but that's now <laughs> going in my toolkit here, uh, <laughs> along with my tractor pool analogy and right. you know, some of those other things from my youth of growing up in a, a rural farming community. That, well, that's great. I, I like that, that you know, we can lean into that goodness of God in those times. And you know, whenever I think about scripture that you know, we see that God tells us we're going to have these white questions, but he doesn't always promise the answer, but he does promise to give of himself that's and right. be there with us. And I think that's really one of the things that I resonate so much with the study is that you're providing a, a path, a way to remind us of that. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's not always possible. I think I've been especially attracted to, interested in more, you know, in clinical psychology, we call them acceptance-based therapies. For a long time, we kind of were overly ambitious in trying to eradicate suffering, right? So, you know, getting, reducing or getting rid of psychological suffering. And quickly over time in my training, I realized that it's not always realistic for people. And so it's, I think, less about getting rid of and more about relating differently to and recognizing every second of the day, every moment in life, we have a trustworthy traveling companion who's infinitely good and wise and powerful and present and holy and all those things. And we can forget that and feel like we're walking alone. And I think it's the aloneness that often leads to so much of our suffering rather than, you know, having that trustworthy traveling companion, even though I'm suffering, I can walk with God through it. Yeah. Thank you for that reminder. So what are you working on next? What are you up to these days? Yeah, so I'm actually right in the middle of a new book proposal for, I've been intrigued recently with the awe literature, AWE. So in psychology, it's this idea of vastness and then the need to accommodate. Those are the two main ingredients. So we might stare out at the Grand Canyon in the United States, or we might be overwhelmed with a work of art. For Christians, it would be, you know, the awe of God and God's majesty and God as creator and sustainer. And so awe has been, you know, kind of a, in the last maybe decade or so, a really popular variable in psychology to research. And so I've been especially interested in this idea of worship and awe in the Christian tradition, Mm. this idea that we're always worshiping something. And oftentimes our suffering comes from worshiping the wrong things, ourselves, Mm. others, things. And so the book is really about this idea of returning to, you know, what the philosopher Charles Taylor calls an age of enchantment, right? That we're in a disenchanted age where we're basically just not in awareness of, aware of spiritual reality. And so this idea that we can, with all of life, approach it with awe of God, that every moment where we can be grateful, every moment we can experience as new, every moment we can see the mystery of God in a good way. And so that's kind of the book right now is, is returning to this idea of worshipfulness and awe in all of life. So working on that right now. And so for those who've been listening and want to find out more about your work or even the particular study that we've been discussing, where can they go to find out more? Yeah. So just my website, my name, joshuanab.com. And there you can find all kinds of resources, some of the measurement tools I've developed, the studies that I've done, even some of the actual protocols or manuals for the studies. So those are free uh, to use with MP3s. And then I also have a podcast that people can check out where a lot of these practices are described. And then I actually walk people through about a 10 minute exercise at the end of every episode. Well, Joshua, thank you so much for being with us today and for the research that you do to help others and for the way that you approach research to point us and toward God and to help deepen our faith as well as our resilience. So thanks so much for being here with us today. Thanks so much, Jamie. Thanks for having me.
always love getting to talk to those who merge research and practice like Joshua. I sure hope you did as well. If you want to know more about his work, be sure to check out the show notes where you'll find links to his website that have a wonderful resources available for free. Thanks for listening to The Better Samaritan. We're grateful to journey alongside you as we continue to seek to do good better. Mm-hmm.